stand up. We're going to read this passage. It's a little long, so I'm going to give you a quick outline before we read it so you can kind of see it simply uh, before uh, we read it. Paul's going to ask one question at the beginning of this passage, and then he's going to give one answer uh, from two different angles. Okay, the question is uh, verse 15. You'll see it in a second. And then he basically spends the whole rest of this chunk answering that one question. And so that's basically how we'll uh, structure the next few minutes is uh, that one question and then the two, uh, kind of the two angles that Paul answers it with. And so this is the word of the Lord. It has power to change you. Uh, And so listen carefully. Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin now, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end or the result of all those things was death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit or the results that you get leads to sanctification and its end or its goal, eternal life. For the wages of the result of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A little bit more, he says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those of you who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For example, a married woman is bound uh, bound by law to her husband while he's alive, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage or the covenant. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's still alive. But if he dies, she's set free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions were aroused by the law and were at work in our bodies or our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that tonight you would uh, do what you say you love to do and send the helper and the comforter, the Holy Spirit, uh, We were not made to do anything on our own. Uh, In a sense, God, you never cut the umbilical cord between you, the creator, and your creatures. We are still that dependent on you for everything. And so we acknowledge that neediness and weakness before you tonight. And right now, would you you come? Would you help us? No matter what kind of, uh, no matter who's in the room, no matter where we are this week, you know where we are. And so would you walk your grace, would you walk your gospel right to where we are? Would you bring us hope and life? 
Would you bring us clear eyesight and, and open ears? We ask all of this in your holy name. Amen. All right, thank you for bearing with me, and you can take a seat. So Paul is an awesome uh, minister, or you could call Paul kind of a campus minister if you wanted to. Someone like me or a counselor where if you went and sat down and had coffee with Pastor Paul or whatever you call those people, um, he would be the kind of guy who uh, he could kind of, you, you sensed he was reading your mind. So if you sat down and had coffee with him and he was telling you all about the gospel or all about kind of the Christian life, uh, he would start to anticipate questions that you were starting to wonder. In other words, you would feel so known and understood, it's like he was completely tracking you. He completely knew where your mind was going. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy who gets you. Part of it is because he has the Holy Spirit working through him, and Jesus gets you. Jesus also can anticipate where your mind goes and what questions you have, not in a creepy, like, identity theft way, but in a, man, this guy knows me. He gets me. Uh, and Paul assumes that if he's going to talk to us about the gospel, about uh, God's free gift of grace in Jesus for people like us, uh, Paul is like, hey, I know where their minds are going to go next. They're going to start asking questions like, okay, well, if I'm accepted in Jesus, if I already measure up because of what Jesus has done, and it's not up to me, uh, if I am already as accepted as I'll ever be, in God's eyes, if I'm already as loved as I'll ever be, as secure, what's the point of trying? Like, what's the point of loving, uh, trying really hard to love my roommate? Uh, what's the point of trying really hard to kill or fight sin the way the Bible calls me to? Like, really? If I already measure up, what, what's the difference in the end? Does it really matter? Imagine if uh, the first week of class a professor says, uh, hey, I declare you an A student in this class. I've already gone to the grade book. I've put in 100 for your grade. Uh, what's the next question or dilemma that's going to come before your mind? Do I come to class, right? What's the point? What's the point of the homework? What's the point of the lectures or whatever else? I already measure up. So Paul is saying, if you already measure up, you are good, clean, innocent, pure in the eyes of God because of what Jesus has done for you. What's the point? Still come around? Still work? still care about becoming a different person or a new person. Uh, and so the question is, can I live any way I want? Uh, or does it actually matter how I live? And Paul's, um, Paul's answer is a bit surprising. You could have left a blank like, hey, let's take a survey. How do you think Paul would respond to the question? I don't think I ever would have guessed how he answered this question. Can I go on living uh, any way that I want to? Um, but he doesn't put on kind of the... Um, your parents, when you were a teenager or middle schooler, when your parents, you asked them a question, why do I have to obey? And they said, just shut up and do it, or just obey because I said so. Paul doesn't do that, and he also doesn't do um, what maybe you would hear on this campus if you put out a survey to a bunch of Christians. And you said, uh, hey, why should I still obey if I'm saved by grace? I think a lot of people would say because you need to protect your witness on campus, right? You heard this stuff? Uh, and there's an element of truth to that, right? It's not like that's completely wrong. Uh, you need to set a good example so people see Jesus as good. But, uh, and you might also hear um, your good behavior or your trying hard to, uh, to grow and to mature in the Christian life. That's kind of like your present back to God 
because you're so thankful for what he's done, right? You've heard this stuff, right? I hear it all the time. There's a little bit of truth to all of those things, but Paul doesn't say a word about that here, right? He comes out of left field. Paul answers our question. So do I just keep living any way I want? Does it even matter? Paul says, of course, it, of course you can't keep living in sin. Don't you know that everybody's a slave? You know what a non sequitur is? You heard that term in any of your classes. A non sequitur, it's Latin. It means does not follow. It's like if I say, how old are you? And you say triangle. It doesn't make logical sense based on what came before it. Paul's, Paul's answer seems like a non sequitur. You're like, Paul, I didn't ask you about slavery. I said, does it matter how I live now that I'm saved by grace? And Paul said, of course it matters. Don't you know everybody's a slave? It's weird. But then he spends all the rest of this time talking about it. So Paul thinks it's an important question. He doesn't brush your question aside. He doesn't brush the tension or the confusion. He says, this is a really good question. Let's spend some time talking about it. Uh, and so that's what he does uh, in the second half of, uh, of Romans uh, 6. Now, is Paul just being harsh and insensitive? Because when you talk about slavery, you get into tiptoeing around some pretty sensitive stuff, right? It's a loaded issue. Um, but even for people in 2014 in America with fresh memories of civil war, of civil rights, of all that stuff, uh, slavery the way you and I know it uh, was nothing in comparison to the way it was in Paul's day. Paul was a Roman, right? The Roman Empire, their policy was basically, they had conquered everybody, but their policy was if we conquer you, we get you, right? It's unfortunate if you're a conquered person uh, because you become kind of the property of the state. And a lot of people kept getting to do their own thing, but uh, some of those people were kind of fully brought into that slavery, that lifestyle. So Paul's not being flippant. He knows exactly why he's decided to say um, that everybody is a slave, um, that it's your core identity. You're not just a creature. Um, you're not just a man or a woman, but the Bible hands you an additional label an identity label that says you're also a slave. Okay? Now, here's kind of what he means by that. Paul doesn't say that everybody is a follower of God or sin. He doesn't say everybody's an apprentice of God or sin. Uh, he doesn't say everybody's a servant of God or of sin. He says everybody, every human being, is a slave either uh, to God and righteousness, which leads to life, or to sin and disobedience, which leads to death. Okay, so he's looking at the whole human race and saying every one of us is a slave. The question is, which master uh, are we enslaved to? And so the reason he chooses the slave metaphor is because slavery is like one of the only things that is life-dominating. If you're a slave, it's not like you have a little area of your life carved out where you're still a free person. Every part of you is a slave, right? It's life-dominating. It is uh, it, every square inch of it. It's all-encompassing. It's your identity. And same with the other metaphor that, uh, that Paul kind of talks about at the very end. He's thinking of another image that he can bring to you to kind of help it make sense. The other image that he goes uh, and thinks of is marriage. Now, don't connect the two too close. Marriage is not slavery. <laughs> Timed that perfectly for when Anna got here. Yeah. Uh, he's not saying marriage is slavery. He's saying, hey, here's, okay, if the first metaphor didn't work for you, here's another picture. Marriage, too. There's not a single piece of my life 
where I'm not a married man. There's not a single decision I make, thought I have, desire I have, plan I have for the future that doesn't somehow connect back to Anna. It is a life-dominating, all-encompassing, all-in kind of thing. And when Paul looks at, uh, at, at you and me, he sees, he kind of says, oh, their life is also dominated. It's all encompassed by, it's directed and driven and ordered by either obedience to God or obedience to death. Okay, so I'm going to tell you, it's like you're a slave or it's like you're, um, you're married. Okay, make sense so far? That's kind of the metaphors that, that, he is, uh, that he is setting up. And, you know, this is hard for us to, um, to accept. Here's how I tend to think about sin. We'll take this kind of in two parts. He says everybody's a slave to sin or to God. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what it looks like to be a slave to sin, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it looks like to be a slave to God. This is how, if you're like me, you tend to think about sin. If you use that word or not, whatever. Doing your own thing. Um, I tend to think, like, as a Christian, that uh, what God's desire for my life is to stay on this straight and narrow, tiny little path. Uh, but sin is this cool little thing on the side that's, like, sparkly, and it's like, come and get water. Come and take a break. Come and have fun. Come and find excitement. And so when I think, like, I'm on this boring, trudging path of this straight and narrow, Right? And uh, there's this really cool thing over here on the side. And I think about sin as disobedience, right? Like a kid disobeying his mom or his dad. You know the rules and you didn't follow them. But Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. He kind of washes all of that out and he says, nothing could be further from the truth. You've got to stop thinking of sin as disobedience. Sin is obedience. Sin is lockstep following orders. It is obedience. It is perfect obedience uh, to a master. And I'd never, until uh, a a couple of years ago when I really looked at this passage, I had never thought about sin as obedience. We'll see how in just a second, but have you ever thought about uh, erring or rebelling or kind of going your own way or turning your back on God as obedience? Before we get any further, you've got to at least see that or at least be open to... uh, to the possibility that that God looks at this stuff and he sees it as obedience. Now, the other thing, because he says, uh, he says right in the middle of this passage, he's talking to Christians, he says, for when you were slaves uh, of sin, and then he talks about for at that time when you were doing things that you're now ashamed of, what he means is basically, how do you become a slave to sin? You're born into it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Adam and Jesus, right? The Bible's really clear about this. I know you, you, you may not agree with it. That's okay to be here and not agree with that. Um, but the Bible looks at you and it says the way you became a slave to sin is you came out of a womb and you were born and you started breathing. Uh, we were born into this. Okay? That's, that's kind of how we became uh, slaves to this stuff. And so the Bible looks at humanity, or to boil it down, if God looks at the campus of New Mexico State, He sees it differently than you and I do a lot of times. I tend to see it, and I bet you do too, of there are some good people who are kind of Christians or religious people, and they kind of, they walk the straight and narrow. Then there's the partiers, uh, or there's the whatever other categories you put on them. But you kind of divide the campus down the middle by the the good guys and the good girls and the bad guys and the bad girls. The people who obey God and the people who disobey God. But God doesn't see it that way. God sees this campus as a campus full of perfectly obedient people. Everybody obeys. 
the, the worst partier on campus you need to stop seeing as a disobedient rabble-rouser. He, he is a perfectly obedient rule follower uh, to, uh, to what we'll talk about in a second. And you also need to see what we would consider the best person on campus or the most godly person on campus also as an obedient. The, the point is God looks at it and says everybody is obeying something. Everybody's obeying a master. If you got the Facebook uh, post for uh, what the message was going to be about tonight. I put a quote on there from a, girl, from a lady named Rebecca Pippert. She wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker, if you ever want to read more about it. But uh, this is what she said, and we're kind of trying to now get a better picture of who are or what are these masters that Paul looks at and says, we obey, right? All of the people on campus, what kind of masters are we obeying? Some of this won't be very new to, to some of you, but, but uh, Becky Pippert says this, Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance and approval is controlled by acceptance and approval. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Lord means master. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Now, if that didn't kind of make sense to you, there's an old English pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says it kind of a similar way. He says... Your God is what you give yourself to. Your God is what you give all of your resources to. For example, the best pieces of your time go to your God. Um, the, the most alert and uh, insightful thoughts, your money. You live for this God. It's the thing or the person that keeps you going. It's what you turn to when life gets hard. Everybody has a master. But the question is, who is your master? Right? Probably all following up to this point. Everybody has a master. Pretty simple. Everybody's an obedient servant or slave to something. Like he says, the question is, what is your master? Maybe a picture is better for you of how this works, how it spirals out of control, and the things that we chase and look to to bring us life actually do a bait and switch. It's like a fishing lure. Fish think that here comes a tasty meal. I'm going to chase after this thing and bite down hard on it and then start swimming away. And then, whoosh, and what the thing that they thought was going to bring them life killed them. It's the same thing with this kind of stuff. Uh, the picture of this, I think the best picture I've ever heard of is Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Tolkien was a Christian. Tolkien knew this stuff, and he was trying to communicate some of these messages from Scripture through his writing. Uh, and, and so he has this guy named Smeagol who's like this little... Uh, He's a hobbit, right? He was a hobbit who basically was, because of this inner desire, he was mastered by, he was lorded over by uh, what this ring, this precious ring promised to give him, right? More and more and more. The, the more he chased after this, the more he disintegrated. The closer he seemed to get to it, the further it seemed to, to, be, to, to run away from him. And the more enslaved he became to it, my precious, my precious, the more defensive he got, the more hostile he got when other people threatened it or got in between him and the ring. Think about Gollum and go back and read this passage. It makes a lot more sense. Paul talks about this kind of our obedience to these other masters as something that is life-dominating, all-encompassing, just like Gollum. Every decision we make, 
every desire we have, every plan we make, everything that we choose to go to or not go to, these masters are always there issuing edicts and orders. Um, They're always whispering, my precious, my precious. And so there's always forks in the road of who do we obey. Gollum's a picture of a guy who's mastered by it. Paul says in verse 19, um, chasing these masters, obeying these masters, um, presenting our members or our bodies as slaves to this leads to lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness. And he says later, the end of that is death. So he's saying, imagine a snowball. Imagine addiction. Everything starts out small, and it always grows. It has momentum to it. Slavery, both to sin and to God, has momentum. Uh, It has energy to it. It doesn't just sit there, but it has momentum uh, and energy to it. Okay, and so he says uh, one more thing before we push on and look at the, what slavery to God looks like. He says, we don't just have this kind of internal um, impulse to obey those little voices. Like when we're on that little straight and narrow and we hear, just do it. It's time. You need it this time. I don't know what it is for you. But you know what that internal dialogue sounds like? Um, that master starts chiming in again. It says it's time, to, it's time to obey again. It's time to come over here and look at this. It's time to go do that. It's time to nurse that resentment or that anger. It's time to slander. It's time to put that person in their place. And we, and we tend to uh, give in to those moments. And what Paul talks about when he says, what, what he means when he says we present our members to this slavery and to these masters, what he means by that is fancy talk for uh, our bodies are what execute kind of our internal desires or implement. Here's a quick little, he's a cheap little, or a free little theological nugget for you. God gave you a body to implement and act on this, these internal desires and, internal, and this internal worship that's inside of you. Before the fall, your body was supposed to implement righteousness, to spread it, to say loving and edifying things with your tongues, to see with your eyes people in need and how you could help it, to use your feet to walk to people in need, to use your hands to clothe people, to use every part of your body, your brain, your sexuality, your personality as a resource to love people and love God, to, to kind of to give yourself to industry, to agriculture, to medicine, whatever else. That's why you have a body. But Paul says our bodies as these tools to kind of make something inside happen outside in a concrete way. Paul says our bodies have gotten wrapped into this corruption. And so that's why our bodies are kind of just, the gospel is not just about your heart and your soul. The gospel is every bit about your fingernails as it is about your soul. The resurrection we'll talk about in a minute applies as every much as much to your feet as it does to your heart. Um, this stuff matters to God, and Paul says we present our members. And then things begin to spiral out of control. Every time we present our members to these other masters, practice makes perfect, right? Practice makes perfect. And so when I use my tongue to grumble, guess how much easier it is next time to grumble? It's easier. Uh, when I use my eyes to lust, how much easier is it next time once my eyes have become more and more trained and practiced and and patterned in that. We present our members in service to our masters. So if the master says down, I'm all, wow, look at that. 
And then your eyes kind of steal from that person and, and depersonalize that person. They become an object for you. Um, your eyes have to execute that command. Think about the ways this week that your hands, your eyes, your ears, your tongue, your body has executed these whispered commands of the masters we follow. Um, Paul says this is kind of all on the table. Now, real quickly, why does this stuff work? Why does, why does addiction happen? Why do we keep giving back into this stuff? Even though all of us kind of have been stung by it, we taste the poison of this stuff. I'll never forget uh, this night in seminary. I was in a class, and um, this guy that I'd seen all the time at my seminary, he was one of the groundskeepers. He was up front at the podium. We were all like, huh, this is going to be cool. The groundskeeper's giving the lecture tonight. And uh, Al started the lecture by saying, um, I work at this seminary because they're the only people who would give me a job. I've been in prison for the past 30 years. I was a heroin dealer. And uh, I won't go into all of his story, but what caught me and, and stuck with me is he said, the whole thing, it started so simply and innocently. He's like, I was 15 years old and I just wanted something to do. And he said, for the next 30 years, I was in hell. Uh, and he said, addiction was the easiest thing in the world because all, it, all addiction is is not saying no anymore to what you want to do. Coasting. What could be easier than kind of throwing up your hands and just being carried away by the current? Um, and then he said this, drugs work. I was like, whoa, you're not supposed to say that here. Like the government and all these other people say drugs don't work, they don't deliver. He said drugs do deliver. They do work. If you want comfort and release and escape from life, drugs will give it to you. Uh, if you are lonely, you want validation, intimacy, or sex, we'll give it to you. Uh, if you want to have a secure future, pouring your life at the expense of your friends into a GPA or a grade will give you a more secure future, most likely. You will get a better internship. But look at the trail of death that follows in its wake. That is where you see kind of the proof is in the pudding is, is an expression. The results show you what it's really like. How many successful businessmen who got the good GPA, got the best job, make the most money, have dead marriages, dead families, and dead kids? How many addicts do you know who keep turning back to drugs because they do work in the moment, but they have nothing more to offer than that? They take you by the hand and peacefully lead you to your death. This is why this stuff is deceptive, and we need deliverance from it. And that's just what the gospel is. The second kind of slavery that Paul talks about is this slavery to Jesus. Okay? This slavery to uh, God or slavery to righteousness is kind of where he goes from this. So he talks about, he says, you are born a slave to sin. That's how you become a slave to sin. You're born into it. But he talks about you are converted into or you are rescued into slavery to God. Okay, same parallel applies here. Just as slavery to sin is life dominating, all-encompassing, it touches every inch of your life. It's not a little side hobby or peripheral dabbling thing you do on the side. It is your life. So also, slavery to God is all-encompassing, life dominating. It reorders everything, just like marriage reorders everything I do. I don't think about a single thing or plan a single thing without that coming into play. And God says we are rescued into 
this slavery. Uh, And so just as sin is obedience to a master that will kill you, slavery to God is that obedience, that trust, uh, that being controlled by, played like a guitar, like Shia LaBeouf said in the interview we talked about last week, God playing you like a guitar, um, making music with your life is what we're talking about here when we think about slavery um, to God. And so uh, Paul kind of, if, you were, if you're wondering where this is coming from in verse 17, he says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart, right from the inside. The spirit working inside of you has now reoriented what's inside of you. So from the heart, you've become obedient to the teaching or the gospel which you heard and you have been set free. That's a passive verb. You have been set free. That's something in the rearview mirror of your life. Not something you're trying to attain. Not something you're trying to behave your way into. Something that God has done to you. You have been liberated, set free from sin. And now you have become slaves of righteousness. And so you might be wondering if you're a Christian, so Ben, does everything you talked about before not apply to me? Because you were talking about people who are slaves to sin. Dominated by it. Every piece of their life is in service to this other master. Well, here's how you think about it. If you're a Christian, you're not a slave to sin, but you still obey it, right? Uh, We still, in forgetful moments, in tired moments, in little moments of amnesia, forgetting who we are, we we still listen to those voices and obey them. And Paul, in that moment, is warning you, don't you know what that life led to? Don't you still remember and taste the death that it brought you to? Don't you know those other masters have never given an inch for you, have never given anything to you except taken and taken and taken from you? So he's kind of getting in your head in those moments, and he's arguing with us. And he's saying that we are going to obey someone. You are an obeyer. You are in your nature as a human being, and every human being is an obedient creature. It's in your nature. There's no such thing as a disobedient person in the sense of they don't have a master. The question is, which master are you going to follow? And Paul says, if you're going to follow someone, why not follow a master who leads you back to life? Why not follow the one who has given everything for you? Why not follow the one who, opposite of Gollum, the more you chase, the more you die. With Jesus, the more you chase, the more you come alive. The more reintegration instead of disintegration happens. The more newness happens. Life happens. Spring returns. This is the parallel uh, that he's drawing. He says, you have been set free from sin. You have become slaves to God. And now the results that you get or the fruits you get in verse 22 leads to sanctification and its goal, eternal life. This is how awesome this is. Uh, Slavery to sin and slavery to God a little bit more similar than you might think. You remember a second ago when we were talking about slavery to sin, it has a trajectory. It's towards more and more death, right? It has a trajectory. It also has a momentum. It snowballs, right? Do, uh, with addiction or whatever, do it once. It's easier to do it the second time. It's easier to do it the third. And then a lifetime later, you're like, what happened? There's a trajectory. There's a momentum to it. And there's a destination. So for sin, it was... Um, trajectory is uh, towards more and more death. The momentum is towards more and more lawlessness. The destination is 
death all around you. Well, slavery to God also has a trajectory of momentum and a destination. The trajectory is towards more and more life. The momentum is called sanctification. And what it means is this perpetual, hourly, minute by minute, pouring on of more grace to renew you. God has already said you measure up. He has said and declared you're righteous, and now he's making you righteous. He has freed you. Now he's making you free. Does that make sense? He has said you are innocent, and now in a sense he is cleansing you, purifying you, so that you will be a different person in 5, 10, 50 years. Christians are people who have power to change because you are united to the one whose name is power, the one whose name is life. And the end goal of this is just as giving yourself or obeying the master of sin will lead to 10,000 deaths, which ends in one gigantic eternal death called hell. So also 10,000 itty-bitty tiny little moments of renewal of Jesus breathing wind in your sails to walk in freedom. We'll we'll see that in just a second. We'll close with that. But 10,000 moments of that, what does that lead to? The accumulated result of that. He is not just kind of making you a better person in this life. He has already begun the work of making you perfect again. The end result is eternal life with God. It's exponential. It's like compound interest. It just, it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it just keeps shooting up into the stratosphere. It is, it is on a roll. It is snowballing. You are changing. You are becoming more free, more alive, more loving. The way that we see this uh, is in our everyday lives. So if you want to change, if you want to walk in this freedom that if you're a Christian you already have, here's how. You walk in the gospel of Jesus. In other words, you know, you reckon, right, last week. You remind yourself that you already measure up in Jesus. You are accepted. I don't care what your emotions tell you. Your emotions are fallen Sometimes they tell the truth. Often they lie. God says you measure up. He says he accepts you. He welcomes you. He runs towards you. He throws his arms around you. He delights in you. He sings over you with joy. You have to know this. This is why at RUF we talk about the gospel here on Tuesday night. And if you come to a Bible study, we talk about the gospel there. And if we ever get to get lunch or coffee, we talk about the gospel there. Why? You have to have this fresh in your mind or we will start obeying other masters. Because God, Jesus as a master will become tyrannical to you. They'll become unsavory or or ugly to you. And these other masters on the side will become beautiful again. This is why people who are not attached to community tailspin very fast. This is why we are always opening the doors to you getting to know people here so that you can be reminded of this stuff. You reckon yourself also dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see how Jesus used his freedom. Tyrell read about this earlier, 1 Peter 2, verse 22 to 25. Amazing. How did Jesus use his freedom? Or, Or what did his slavery to God look like? It said uh, his obedience to God looked like he was free to face death on your behalf. He was free to give away everything on your behalf. He was free to obey the Father. He didn't didn't return evil for evil. 
He didn't curse. Think about all the times in that story that you and I would have responded and obeyed another master. I worship comfort, and so I can't go to the cross. I worship security, and so I can't bless people who curse me. Jesus used his freedom, and it gave life to everybody else. Here is where, uh, here is where we end. And I'd say this is maybe the, one of the most important things, and it's one of the most surprising things. You also need to know that just like sin, obeying the master of sin will lead you to your death. Obeying Jesus will lead you to your death as well. It says it in the passage. We die with him and we rise up with him. But the death that sin brings is a dead end. It's a cul-de-sac. It just stops there. It's death with a period after it. The death that Jesus brings his people to, it's a continual death. It's It's an everyday dying to different parts of yourself, dying to different old stuff that doesn't fit anymore. And that death is a doorway, not a dead end. It's a doorway that leads to life. And so what would death look like this week for you? Dying to the master of grades or your GPA will feel like death to you so that others might know you and you might know them and care for them and love them, you will have to die to that sometimes. There will be tests that you should make a B on because you love Jesus and you love people instead of an A. Dying to, dying to desires for drunkenness. You go to a party and you feel like, I don't have the best personality. I need a little help. And drunkenness is the quickest way to that. Dying to that impulse and pushing that master away in that moment and saying, shut up will feel like death to you. And you will have to own the weakness of being at that party without that crutch. And you will learn how to give life to people instead of being a parasite at the party, how to be a life giver who goes and talks to other lonely people. Dying to your comfort and security tonight might look like you going and talking to the person you've never talked to before because you were scared. It will feel like death, but that is actually you saying to other masters, shut up. I am free in Jesus to walk in weakness. I am free to live now. Joe Novenson said, he's a a pastor that I love. He said, you've heard the expression, "It, it hurts like hell. He said, dying to yourself, being enslaved to Jesus will hurt like heaven. He says, hell doesn't give a rip if you ever change. Heaven insists you do. So sanctification or this being made new by Jesus' spirit day in and day out will hurt like heaven. It will be painful, but it leads to life because heaven insists that you change. Let's pray that we'd be uh, willing and able to embrace this and to walk with Jesus as he does this in our life. Lord Jesus, we do uh, thank you that you're the liberator. We were once people who were slaves to sin, dominated by it. We couldn't hear any other master than sin. And you have come in and broken its back and you have liberated and freed us from that. We pray now more and more that we would have ears only for you. We pray that you would slow down time in the moments where we are tempted to kind of be drawn away by other voices, that we would pause in those moments, that we would ask ourselves, who am I obeying right now? Who am I mastered by? Who am I listening to? And that you would help us by the power of your spirit and by your grace to flee and to follow you and help us to know that whether we fail or whether we obey, we are still just as accepted and loved in you. We ask all of this in your holy name. Amen.